Would you consider yourself a good person? I think along with most of the world, we want to be, right? We want to be a good person. We want to be a good parent, a good spouse, a good friend, a good neighbor, a good Christian, right? right? It's something we want people to think about us. Right? Is there a much higher compliment to say than, that is a good man, that is a good woman? Right? We want people to say that and think about us, don't we? But would you consider yourself a good person? Now, a good dose of humility would probably stop us from boldly saying, yes, I am. But we want to think ourselves that we are, right? Right, we'll take a look at our good qualities. We'll, we'll, we'll point to the, the good things that we do for other people. We'll secretly compare ourselves to others, right? Finding people who aren't as good as us, right? To make ourselves feel better. That we're pretty good. It's the way we judge other people too, right? We judge people based on their goodness, right? How they interact with other people, what they say, what they do, right? We judge people if they're a good person or not by their life. And if you got to meet this man in our gospel lesson who comes to Jesus, you would have thought he was a pretty good guy. Luke says that he was a ruler, and what that probably means was that he was a, a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. He was high up in the church of that day. And so he would have been seen as a very good man. Right? Parents would have told their kids, you see that guy? Be like him when you grow up. Right? He, he went to church. He gave his offerings. He was kind and generous to the poor. He was, as far as the world standards go, a really good man. And he thought he was too. And his question that he comes and asks Jesus reveals that about him. We're looking at Luke 18. It's there, that our gospel lesson that we just read, if you want to follow along. This certain ruler comes and asks Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, this question uh, reveals a couple things about this man. Right? First, he, he calls Jesus a, a, a good teacher. Right, and that, that certainly is a way for him to show respect to Jesus, no doubt. Right, he saw him as a teacher, as a rabbi, as someone who, who knew the word of God and was teaching it faithfully. And he saw him as a good man. That if this man had children, he probably would have said, be like Jesus when you grow up. He's a good guy. And his opinion of Jesus wasn't just his. Everyone who saw Jesus thought he was good, a good teacher. But Jesus' response to him calling good teacher helps us understand. And it's really interesting, isn't it? This is what Jesus says in response to him calling him good teacher. Uh, in, in verse 19, he says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's an interesting way for Jesus to respond, isn't it? Because is Jesus good? Yes, most certainly. Is Jesus God? Yes, most certainly. So what does Jesus mean when he answers this way, right? Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. He's exposing this man's problem. 
Because this man is coming to him with the wrong purpose. What Jesus is saying is, and what he's going to reveal as he goes on in his conversation is, you are coming to me thinking you are one good man to another good man, not because I'm the promised Messiah. You are not coming to me for salvation. You're coming for advice. You're coming to me as a godly man, not as the holy God himself. You think I'm just a teacher and just a good man. He exposes that this man's coming just for good advice from a fellow good human being. But then did you hear his question? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And us as, as Lutherans, we could, we could destroy that question in a heartbeat, right? What must you do? <laughs> you can't do anything, right? Eternal life is a gift given to you. What, do you. what is you doing thinking you can do something to inherit eternal life? We could destroy that question with our Lutheran theology, but humanly speaking, it's a question we all ask, isn't it? What must I do? It's the question of our natural human heart to make sure that we're okay with God, to want things to be right between us and him. What must I do after I told that lie? What must I do to feel forgiven? What must I do to be more happy and to have a more positive outlook on my life? What must I do to not be afraid of death and not fear what happens after the grave? What must I do is the natural question of every human heart. And Jesus answers this man. And not the way you would expect. Right? Because this man is coming and he thinks he's a pretty good guy. He thinks he's done really, really well, right? He's coming thinking, you know what? I, I just got to make sure that, that I've got my basis covered because when it comes to eternity, yeah, you can't be too sure, right? You got to make sure, right? So one good guy to another, Jesus, what do I got to do? Right? How do I make sure that this, this, this deal is sealed? And the way Jesus responds is very interesting. Just like the good teacher thing, how we address that. So how he answers this, what must I do question is, is he could have just destroyed him with, the theology of salvation and how we're saved, but, but it plays along a little bit. He says, well, why are you asking me? You're a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. You, you know the commandments. You know what is expected of you. And then he gives him uh, uh, five examples, right? He says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. This account is recorded in two of the other gospels. And in Matthew's account, it says there that Jesus said, if you want to enter life, then obey the commandments. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to go this way, if this is the game you want to play, if you think you can do something to inherit eternal life, then you know what to do. You know how to enter life. Obey the commandments. And then this man's heart is revealed. Without a doubt, this man thinks he's a really, really good guy. He says 
in response, all these, all these commandments that you just listed off, Jesus, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, there's no reason to think that this man truly believes that he has kept these commandments. Right? Because, again, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of his peers, he is a really good, moral, upstanding man. Right? And he could probably look at each one of these commandments. Right? He could say, do not commit adultery. I've never cheated on my wife before. Check, Jesus got that one done. Do not murder. Jesus, I've never taken another human being's life. Check. Got that one too. You shall not give false testimony. I've never told a lie about somebody else. Check, Jesus. You shall not steal. I've never taken anything that doesn't belong to me. Check, Jesus. Got that one too. Honor your father and mother. When I was a little boy, I always listened to my parents. And even now when they're grown, I still obey them and respect them. Check that one off too, Jesus. I have kept these commandments. I've done them. Now, Jesus could have taken the approach that he did in the Sermon on the Mount earlier in his ministry. Remember there where he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that when a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? You have heard it that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you that, that if you are angry with your brother, you are subject to judgment. Right? Jesus could have gone that route. He could have gone down that road of pointing out to this man that it's not just what you do, it's not just what you say, but it's even your thoughts, it's even the attitudes of your heart. That God expects you to keep these commandments perfectly all the time in thought, word, and deed. But that's not the route Jesus takes with him. Instead, he goes for the jugular. And with this man, it's his wealth. This is how Jesus Response after this man says that he's kept all these commandments. He says to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And there is your dagger. There, this man is convicted. It says, when this man heard this, he became very sad, right? At first, his demeanor was good, and I'm, I'm good, and, and, and he's up, and just trying to figure out this whole thing out to make sure he's, he's got eternal life uh, in his back pocket. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. What Jesus is saying to this man is, you think that you're good. You think that because you've done all these outward things, that you're good with God. You think that you're all right. Because in your eyes, you've kept these commandments. But you have fooled yourself. You have fooled everybody around you. Because while you think you've kept these, the second table of the law, all of these commandments about your relationship with other people, you have forgotten all about the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You shall put nothing before God ever. That he is to be your all and your everything all of the time. And you have made wealth your God. You have placed your hope and your happiness and your identity in your goods rather than in God himself who gives those goods. And that disqualifies you. You are far from the kingdom of God. 
You think that all these good things make you right with God, but, and you look squeaky clean on the outside, but your inside is absolutely rotten. And the man heard this and was very sad. Because his wealth, his pleasure, his things had his heart. What is it for you? What has your attention? What is it you're unwilling to give up? Right, maybe it's wealth like this guy, right? Maybe you're, you're identifying all too well with this man here this morning. But what is it that Jesus would tell you to let go of? Your worry? Your discontent with your life? Your desire to find your worth and your value in what other people say about you? Anger? What is it? What would Jesus say to you, right? That it's harder for the person who worries to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How hard it is for the person who hangs on to their anger and their unwillingness to forgive and their need to try to find their worth and their value in, in other people or to try to find their contentment in the things of this life. It's harder for all of these. It's, it's, it's easier than for all these for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for then one of these to enter the kingdom of God. What would Jesus expose in your heart today? Because maybe you fooled everybody else around you that you are a really good person, right? That, that you... You're a good Christian. You're a good parent. You, know, you, you show love and you care and you are concerned about others and you are generous. But the inside you know is rotten. By nature, it stinks. That you might look squeaky clean on the outside and look at all these things that you have done and try to point to those things. But no, in the end, they amount to nothing. Because your heart belongs to someone or something else other than God. And finally, Jesus gets to the heart of it here, doesn't he? He kind of leads this guy along to get him to try to realize where he's falling, where he's failed. And Jesus gets to the heart of it. Paul says in the book of Romans, right near the beginning, he says... There is no one who does good, not even one. A little later in the book of Romans, he says, I know the good that I should do. I know the good that I want to do, but it's the evil that I don't want to do. That's what I keep on doing. And we identify all too well with that, don't we? That there isn't a whole lot of good that we do in God's eyes. And along with those people who are standing here this day, when they hear this interaction of this man and Jesus, right, when they see this, this moral, upstanding, good, religious man, right, if this guy can't get into heaven, they exclaim, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved if a guy like this can't be? If there's no hope for this guy, is there hope for me? And on one hand, no. There isn't. 
Because if we choose to cling to our own goodness, if we choose to make our, try to make ourselves right with God by the things that we do, by trying our best to keep the commandments, by comparing ourselves to other people, then no, there is no hope. But Jesus follows up that question that that crowd asks with all the hope you need. Who then can be saved? The crowd cries out after they hear this interaction, and Jesus immediately says this. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And there lies hope. What Jesus would say to you this morning is, you finally get it? Do you finally get that your standing with God is not based on your goodness, on your good works, on your life and what you do? It's impossible for us to make ourselves right with God. It's impossible for us to stand before God and, and convince him that, that we deserve to live with him forever, that somehow we should get an eternal life because of what we have done. It's impossible, Jesus says. Do you finally get that? You can't. But what's impossible for you, I make possible. Because what we need is not a good teacher. We need a good God. A good God who teaches us what goodness is and what it isn't. And then was good for us. Perfectly good. In deed, in word, and in every thought and attitude of his heart. That this good God in this man, Jesus, was able to keep that second table of the law, right? Not to commit adultery. Not to murder. Not to give false testimony, not to steal, to honor father, mother, and so on and so on, in thought and word and deed, perfectly good for us. And that's not all. That's part of it. That's an extremely important part of it, yes. That he lived that good life that God demands of us. But we are still far from the kingdom of God with our sin of worry and discontent and anger and holding on to sins of other people and not forgiving. And so this good God, this good Savior, also had to go to a cross. And there to bleed and to suffer hell and to be forsaken by his Father and to die all for us. You see how that works? That this Jesus, who speaks to us today, was perfectly good for us in life and in death. Through his good and perfect life, through his good and innocent death, God gives you his goodness. God gives you the goodness that you cannot do through Christ. And the Bible calls this goodness, the, the word it uses, is righteousness. And righteousness is not something that is earned. Righteousness is not something that you deserve. Righteousness is not something that you can work really hard to attain. Righteousness is something that is given. 
that comes from outside of us and is given to us. I've already quoted Paul twice from his letter to the Romans. I'm going to quote him one more time. He says that there is a righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from our works, apart from our desire to be obedient and be really, really good. There's a righteousness that's come from God apart from the law that comes to us through Christ. A righteousness that is given and received through faith to all those who believe in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. Do you understand that? Do you get what that means? You are good in God's sight. According to God's definition of good, which is holy, blameless, perfect. You have righteousness of Christ through faith. You are robed in his holiness before God. God looks at you and he says, it's not about what you do to inherit eternal life. It's all about what your Savior Jesus has done for you that you get to inherit eternal life. That because you are righteous in my sight right now, you are holy in my sight right now. You have heaven right now. You have what it takes to live with me forever right now. Friends, that is who you are. Your identity, your worth, your value is not found in what you do or in your goodness. It's found in the goodness, that righteousness of Christ that comes to you through faith. God looks at you and he sees Christ. God looks at you and he says, you are holy, you are righteous, you are mine. Heaven is yours. We're told in this story that this man went away sad. And we don't know what happened to him. All three of the Gospels that record this account don't say what happened. They're silent about what happened after he went away. And he goes away sad because his idea of goodness, his idea of being right with God, was completely crushed. And he was unwilling to look outside of himself, at least at that moment. He was unwilling to let go of what he thought was good and how he got right with God. That idol of wealth had too strong of a hold on his heart. And he wasn't willing to let it go. But friends, today you don't have to go away sad. You don't have to leave here with your idea of goodness still in your heart because you know and you've seen what makes you good in God's sight? This very Jesus, who calls out to you, who says despair of yourself, despair of any goodness you might do, and cling to my goodness alone. Cling to my righteousness. And then you're able to let go, aren't you? You are able to let go of whatever has your heart. Because you know that that thing, whatever it is, if it's riches, if it's worry, if it's discontent, if it's anger, it cannot give you what Christ can give you. Righteousness, holiness, heaven, right? We are able to let go of these idols. We are able to let go of all these things that would hinder us in our relationship with Jesus, that would blind us from God's love for us. 
that would make it hard for us to enter the kingdom of God. We are able to let these things go because we know who we are. We know what our new identity and our new purpose and our new joy and our new hope is. It's Christ who is our righteousness. So back to my question from the beginning. Would you consider yourself a good person? When you have a different definition of what good means, when you take God's definition of good, then you can answer without hesitation, yes, I am good in God's sight because of Christ. Impossible for me? Oh, yes. On my own? Oh, no way. But clinging to Christ and his righteousness alone, clothed in that righteousness that makes me holy in God's sight and worthy of living with him now and forever, that's not just possible. That's a reality. Right now and forever. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole 